Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of CH Network Presents, where we have conversations about the kinds of questions that people wrestle with when they're exploring the Catholic Church and trying to figure out whether or not they are supposed to be a part of it. Um, that includes me. That includes both of my guests today. These are big questions, right? Uh, questions not to be taken lightly. Questions that can't be answered with, you know, pat answers. And uh, today we get to talk about something related to Mary, and that is always, always a subject that causes great consternation, uh, but ultimately bears good fruit if you stick with it. So I'm Matt Swaim, Director of uh, Outreach for the Coming Home Network. And if you're someone dealing with issues like the one we're discussing today, please do reach out to us at chnetwork.org. And if you're looking for a community of people that you want to kind of converse about this with, uh, we have an online community that's free and easy to join. It's community.chnetwork.org, and it's um, a really fruitful place to be. So uh, without any further ado, I want to get to today's guests. First of all, Denise Bossert, some of you are familiar with because she is our newest staff member at the Coming Home Network. She works in pastoral care, also works in outreach. She does a little bit of everything, and uh, she shared her story in a few different formats here at the Coming Home Network. And then we also have Matthew Leonard, who I love for a number of reasons, not just because he's bald and named Matt, like myself, uh, but uh, he's done tons of work over the years with the St. Paul Center. Some of you have seen him at men's conferences. Uh, you can find all kinds of stuff, including podcasts, books, and a ton more at MatthewSLeonard.com. Denise, Matt, welcome to the show. Great to be with you. Yeah. Okay, so here's how we're going to start this. I'm going to ask you where you were in your questions about Mary when a thing happened to you. Because, uh, And the reason I want to do this approach is because for a lot of people that are watching this right now, maybe they've kind of wrapped their minds around the intellectual arguments about why the Catholic Church teaches what she does about Mary. But then at a certain point, you kind of get stuck uh, right. You kind of you maybe can see the Mary thing on paper, but then there's the thing that has to happen in your heart. And then there's this idea of thinking of her as your mother. You get stuck. So, Matt, I'll go with you first. Um, where were you in your Marian process? What point were you kind of stuck on when you had sort of your special Mary thing happen? I think that, uh, well, physically, I was at Franciscan University of Steubenville going through RCIA. So I was in the last stages of my move into the church. And as you said, you get to this place where you have all the intellectual knowledge. And I'd read all kinds of books. And I had Marian theology coming out of my ears. But it takes a while for, you know, what what's here to get here. And that's what I needed. I needed to get over all of the, the false teaching and the baggage. It just kind of comes with with the, the way that I was raised to be anti-Marian. So I knew everything, but I, I hadn't experienced it yet. And uh, what happened to me was I, I got asked to do a holy hour uh, by a boss, my boss at Franciscan in my student job. And I didn't even know what a holy hour was. I, that's I mean, <laughs> the craziest thing about becoming Catholic is the cultural stuff, right? I didn't know what it was. So I said, what is that? He said, he, he told me and I said, OK, that sounds biblical. I can do that. You know, what time? Two o'clock in the morning, like, two o'clock in the morning. Who prays at two o'clock in the morning, right? I found out Catholics do. So I go down to this church in downtown Steubenville. Um, I'm all alone because no one else is dumb enough to be there with me at two o'clock in the morning. And as I'm sitting there looking at the monstrance, wondering, okay, Jesus, is this really you? And all these Catholic things are kind of going through my head. I'm looking around and just kind of taking in my surroundings. And there's this big statue of Mary uh, off to the side. And... 
I, I, again, you know, I, I'd read so many books on her. I, I, I knew what scripture, I saw the, the typology that was there and all the rest of this kind of stuff. But Mary had not yet become my mother at that point. I didn't really understand or, or have context for how she would work in my life. And as I looked at her, I thought, I'm going to have to deal with this uh, in a real way. And said, I said, okay, Mary, listen, if you are who the church says you are, I want something from you. I'm like, if Gideon can throw out a sign, I'm going to throw out you know, a request for a sign here too. You need to do something for me. Uh, you need to reestablish my relationship with my father. Because at this point in time, he was not speaking to me due to my move into the church. And right, because uh, just for context, you know, you were a preacher's kid, right? I mean, just so everybody kind of knows. You can see this whole thing yeah. on the journey home, a couple of journey homes that you've done with us on this question. I mean, the reason that the tension is there is because you're a good Methodist preacher's kid. What in the world are you doing <laughs> in an adoration chapel with a Mary statue at 2 o'clock in the morning? This is like the last—it'd probably be better for you to be in a bad part of town at 2 o'clock in the morning— as a Methodist preacher's kid, then be where you were. You know, the, the hard part about this, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this too, when you're making the move into the church and you're wrestling with all these issues, by virtue of you wrestling with them, you're basically telling, if you make a move and you say, yes, I'm going to do this, you're, you're telling everyone else that's with you where you are, hey guys, you're wrong mm. and the church is right. And that's the, the kind of the gulf that develops between you and everybody else. And I was starting to experience that gulf in, in a big way because my dad basically felt like I was turning my back, not just on my tradition, not just on my family, but on him personally. And he has a PhD in the canon of sacred scripture. I mean, he's no dummy, you know, and he's like, why are you making this move? And so there was real tension in the relationship. We weren't talking. It was very difficult to endure. At the same time, my mom is dying of cancer uh, back at home. And, uh, and so I was really wrestling with even being in RCIA eight hours away from home as all this is going down. And so the pressure and the tension of all of this was really palpable. And as I sat there in that adoration chapel and I'm looking at this monstrance and I'm, I, there was a pile of rosaries in front of me and, and I grabbed one of them, you know, with fear and trembling. And you're like, you know, Lord, don't strike me dead for, you know, praying a rosary and that kind of stuff. We've all prayed that at some point or another, right? But I said, Mary, here's your shot. Like, if you are who this church says you are, I want reconciliation with my dad. Uh, I need this to be reestablished because it's, how do you, how do you adopt what's well, hard? You're going to adopt yourself into or be adopted into a new family, but you don't want to just have your own personal family reject you out of all this. It's just, it seems not right. And yes, I know a lot of people go through it. I went through it to a large degree. And I'm still going through it, to be honest, in a lot of ways. But I needed this relationship to be restored. And so I said, Mary, here, here you go, you know? And that was two o'clock in the morning. And uh, I prayed that prayer. I made the sign of the cross and said, here's my intention, my relationship with my father. Let's pray this rosary. And I barely even knew how to pray a rosary. You know, I mean, it, it was just so foreign to me in a lot of ways. But I did it. That was at two o'clock in the morning. And at 2 p.m. that same day, a letter arrived from my dad asking for reconciliation and forgiveness. And that's when you're just like, okay, you know, Mary, <laughs> you win. And the, the cool thing about it was I didn't just get my father back. Like I got a spiritual mother back or in the package, I should say. And this, this is what I didn't re really recognize. And that is that everything we do as Catholics, we view through the lens of family. 
Like I was having trouble with my own human family. Why? Because I'm made to be in family. We're all made to be in family. And Mary is that mother. And I just never really had looked at her that way in the way that I had grown up. And it was a struggle for me to understand her that way, even as I was coming into the Catholic Church. But once you recognize her role in salvation history to mother me into the bosom of Christ, that's when the pieces start to fall together. And so my dad came back into relationship with me. And of course, I still had to wrestle with all kinds of other stuff, just the normal pressures, what Newman calls the antecedent considerations that kind of, you know, fill up one's experience as you're making a way into the church. But that was really kind of the, the pivotal moment for me where I knew Mary, like she's, she's on this and she cares about every little thing in my life. All right. So this is fun. Uh, so just, you know, when I started uh, coming up with the concept of Coming Home Network Presents and the idea of getting two people together who had kind of stories that overlapped or like had things in common, this is one of the ones that I wanted to make sure that I booked. And Denise is like going to have to get like a whole new thing of Kleenexes because you wiped her out <laughs> with your story because she didn't know your story and you don't know hers. So Matt, get the hankies uh, because <laughs> you guys too, both of you have sh shockingly common experiences of, of how this played out for you so denise have you gathered yourself together after hearing that oh, because i want i really want people to hear yours because it's it's again it's it's shocking um how common you guys' stories are yeah it's it's crazy because i'm sitting here listening to matt's story and i'm like okay so this must be a way mother mother mary works because our stories are so similar, and I've never heard your story before, Matt. But so um, my, I was in RCIA also, and um, and I'm also a preacher's kid. So uh, my father was deceased by then; he had died the year before. But um, and and my my mother and siblings, of course, were like, we have no idea what she's doing, and it, certainly there was a. And still is a familial, uh, just difficulty there. But so I was in the RCIA and it was December 12th. And our RCIA leader decided to talk to us about the Immaculate Conception because we had just had the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception a few days before. And so he put it on his lesson plan to cover it on that Sunday. And I, uh, this was the RCIA class I was waiting uh, to, to drop. And um, by this time, I knew that the Eucharist was is Christ. And I uh, had a holy jealousy of those coming forward or going forward to receive the Eucharist. Um, it, and I, I knew the papacy was necessary for unity. And, and so many other things I'd already worked worked out. Um, but when he started talking about the Immaculate Conception, I had a memory of my parents having a conversation when Dad switched from Wesleyan to Presbyterian and went to seminary. And he was talking with my mom about the Immaculate Conception and what Catholics believe. And my mom you just burst out with this, this gasp of horror that... Um, Catholics would believe that Mary's conceived without sin. Um, and I, so I had inherited this memory and bias, really, against the Immaculate Conception. And when our RCIA leader started talking about it, I'm like, I don't get it. 
And he knew I was struggling, and I was not the only one in the class. We had a number of other people in the class, but I was the one who was like, I, I just don't, I can't, I don't believe that. And he um, also laid out um, prefigurements, and Mary is the new Eve, the Ark of the New Covenant. And I have a master's in English, and so, I mean, I was understanding uh, figurative language and all of that, but... I said, that doesn't mean, I don't see how that means. And um, and he kept going, and I just, I knew he was not going to be able to get through. It was just not, his words and laying out scripture, which I was very familiar with, would not do it, would not do it. And so um, he said, well, you always have the option. Well, first I said, how can I how can I receive that? Can I still come into the church? Because I still want Jesus in the Eucharist. And he said, no, it's dogma. And either you trust the church or you you don't. Um, But then he said, you can go home and make a petition to Mary to show you who she is, that she is who the church says that she is. So that afternoon, and I didn't have a problem with that. I just didn't think she knew I existed, right? (laughs) So that afternoon, I went home and I wrote in my prayer journal, um, basically exactly what Matt just said. Um, Mary, I need you to show me who you are, that you are who the church says that you are. And I need this to come to me uh, from someone who doesn't know I'm struggling. It can't be from human lips to human ears, living people, as I, I refer to it. Um, it needs to be Mother Mary from your lips to the ears of someone else. Uh, communicating with me that you are who the church teaches. And I had a whole list of, it can't be these people, they they might know through my RCIA leader, blah, blah, blah. Um, so really, there was no way. And I knew it was almost impossible for this petition to be answered as what I believed the Immaculate Conception to be. You know, they were on the same level of impossibility in my brain. And similarly to Matt's story, within 24 hours, I walked out to the mailbox. It was a Monday. It was December 13th. And in that mailbox, there was a letter from a woman who lives in Scranton, Pennsylvania, who had been on the journey home the summer before. I'd written the journey home. I'd written the Coming Home Network, a letter in July when I saw her on it um, because she was a Carmelite and I'd been reading Carmelites. They passed my letter on to Mary Beth Kremsky. She wrote me in August. That was it you know, just encouraging me to get into RCIA and hadn't written me again. And here it is December 13th, and I get a letter from her. I was living in St. Louis at the time. She's still in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Again, the only way she knew is through Mary's lips that I needed help. And she had dated her letter December the 8th, and above it she had written Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And I read this two-page, <laughs> I read this two-page letter that's single space typed. And, uh, of course, I put together because she had written above the date, Immaculate Conception. And like Matt, my thought was, man, not only does the church have a mother, you know, I know Jesus has a mother, but not only does the church have a mother, but I have a mother. She's my mother. She knows me so well. And I didn't think she knew who I was or that she had any idea that I was walking this earth because she was in heaven and she had no idea who we are on earth. But she had known what I would ask for and she had put into place all the things that were necessary for this letter 
which was written on December 8th, to arrive in, in my mailbox less than a day after I made my petition. And, um, and it's been quite a journey since then. So, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode of Coming Home Nowhere Presents. That's all we have for today. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is is awesome. So you guys see why it is that I invited you on. So, Matt, a little background for you. I told her, uh, Denise, when we first started coming up with the idea for this episode, I had an episode that I wanted her to do for you, but I didn't want to tell her what it was. I didn't want to prepare for it because I didn't want her to, like, you know. Google the person who's going to be on the other end. But now that you guys are together, you sort of see why it is that I thought that it would be cool to tell your stories in tandem with one another. Um, I have so many questions, but just very quickly, uh, Matt, do you know what year yours was? 1998. 1998. And yours was what, like 2004? Um, right. Well, uh, yeah, it was exactly December 2004. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, these are, these are not that far apart from one another. I mean, this is, it's just funny, um, how the whole thing works out. I wonder, okay. So, so let's start it this way. Um, Denise, do you have any questions for Matt, uh, based on yeah, this? Yeah. I love that you let me do that. Okay. So my question is this. What do you think? So you know what came next in your story and in your life as a Catholic. Why do you think? Because so many people come in and there's sort of grace and they start to receive it and understand it. Why do you think this happened? What was it preparing you for, for your journey that came after? Man, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I, I think it goes back to that family notion. Um, given the fact that everything that we do, in fact, Look, I had all kinds of context. As a pastor's kid, I was the annoying kid in the Sunday school classes that knew all the Bible stories and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And what really coming to a, a, a an understanding of Our Lady, not to mention everything else in the Catholic world, it put all those things into order for me, but put it in, as I said before, a familial context. And what it for Mary, what she showed me was, that there's a sense in which I'm not just fathered by God. Obviously, he's God, right? And she's not. But I'm mothered as well. And so there's this maternal aspect that I just hadn't experienced in the whole way that I had grown up as a Protestant Christian. We didn't have any of that. In fact, I went to a Calvinist high school for four years, and that's like, you know, getting beat upside the head with a two-by-four every day because of the way we believed about God and his He's got sovereignty, but he's like he's up there with a big bully stick whacking me upside the head all the time. And that's only if I'm actually predestined to get in. And if you're not in, well, then, you know, too bad for you. You're going to hit even harder. But Mary introduced this this kind of maternal beauty uh, into my experience of the faith that I had not experienced before. And I think that's that's one of the big things, Denise, was it opened me up to beauty in a way that I had never experienced before in my experience of God. It sounds kind of a roundabout thing, but Mary's so beautiful uh, that I just, I didn't have, you know, when you read the, the, the stories of, of all these private revelations when people see Mary, they're like, it's the most beautiful woman in the world. You're like, yeah, no, I mean, she is, she is beauty in a way, beauty incarnate in a sense. And Jesus, you know, obviously Jesus is God, Mary's not, but Mary just provides an aspect that's so human to us, even though mm-hmm. she's perfect and created for that role by virtue of that immaculate conception you're talking about. And I just didn't, 
I would not have experienced God the same way had Mary not made herself known to me. I'll just, I'll, I'll put it that way. That's a great, great way of putting it. And, you know, as you're saying this, Matt, something occurs to me about the way that Denise's story works. Um, you know, and actually the way that it works better with hers because hers is specifically in relation to the Immaculate Conception, that if God um, knows what he wants um, for his son and he goes before and prepares her before he then goes and actually tells her. And that's kind of how the letter situation worked with Denise. Like the letter was in the mail before Denise put the gauntlet down. <laughs> you know, it's kind of the. <laughs> you know what's funny about that? Uh, so my friends when it was like same thing with Denise right so we get the letter the next day so obviously the letter was sent before the prayer was made the before you put the challenge whatever, out there right? it was out there it was in the mail <laughs> so some of my buddies were like well then you can't really give that to Mary because obviously it had been mailed before you even asked her I'm like come on guys I mean we like like you have a maybe mis- you don't understand how like, eternity works exactly. I'm just saying <laughs> so while As I got you okay Kenya. so so, so this is turnabout's fair play. Then, uh, Matt, do you have a question for Denise about anything in her story? Yeah, I want to know. After, subsequent to you, you getting this letter, what was the react the reaction of the rest of your family? Uh, you know, first of all, how long did it take you to get over the hump by virtue of that letter, and and that being your answer to prayer? Like, how long did it take you to say yes, like Our Lady? And then, what was the reaction of your family? I immediately knew. Um that what the church teaches about Mary is true. And I realized that um, I had a whole lot of homework to do now to get to know this mother mm. that knows me so well. Um, and I was, instead of putting a wall up to that, I was, I'm ready. I believe it. Now I want, I want to know more than even what my RCIA leader, you know, was trying to tell me. Um, and so uh, just a, a search for <clears throat> information, um, beauty, like you said, uh, about who she is and her role in the church. Because I think uh, for those of us that are converts, so much of it rides on getting to know who she is personally as a mother. You know, we're used to the personal relationship with Christ, and now we realize we can have a personal relationship with his mother um, and then you move into, okay, I want some head knowledge here where I know more about how she's the mother of the church. Um, and it really prepared me for some, you know, some things that I did in, in the next, you know, it's been 17 years, but in the next 10 to 15 years after that, it laid a foundation for that. Um, I think my husband was the one who was probably, because he didn't come in when I did, he came in a couple of years after it. But I do think that it 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 rocked him a little bit when he realized because he knew I came home. I came home after that RCIA class, and I was just like, I can't, I cannot do it. I cannot become Catholic. And I'd come home after a a daily mass um, that I'd gone to where they had per uh, they had like perpetual. I can't. It's 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 the the prayers of Saint Alphonsus Liguori on Marian help. <laughs> I don't remember what they're called now. Um, but anyway, I, which totally is like they're praying to Mary, and it just sounds terrible. And I don't like. I don't understand it. I just and I'd come home and I told my husband I can't become Catholic, and he was just like, "Okay, that's fine. You don't have to." Because of course he's not Catholic. He was Southern Baptist, so he was like, <laughs> probably like, "Yay, she's not going to become Catholic." Um, but then when this letter came, 
there's no denying the connection between the two uh, that um, I'd heard from the Blessed Mother. He wasn't ready to come into the church, but it certainly was like an eyebrow raiser for him. Um, I went in the very uh, the very day, the very day I got the letter, I went into the parish and I walked into the office of our RCIA leader and I put the letter on his, slammed the letter down on his desk and I said, <clears throat> okay, so Mary's the Immaculate Conception. <laughs> and he was, he was um, in a way shocked, um, just delighted and thrilled and told a lot of people, but in a way he wasn't. You know, in a way, he's like, well, that's how she works. Um, I, I said, maybe put out a petition because I knew she would answer a petition you put out. So, um, but one of the other things that I think that it taught me is similar to what you said, Matt, and that is that I began then to place my most difficult petitions before her with trust that she would approach her son and ask for graces to be dispensed from the kingdom of God as we see, and I would then learn um, that the the Queen Mother in Salvation History um, in the kingdom, the Davidic kingdom, would do that. Um, she also would do that. And the reason it couldn't be the wife was because the wife wasn't the, the, the queen. He had too many wives, which is quite similar to, you know, in the church, there's so many of us um, that our Lord's, the King of King, his mother is the Queen Mother. And she has continued to be faithful to take my petitions, and we don't have time to get into the most impossible things um, that I have encountered in 17 years. She has taken all of them, received them, and turned them back around as answered prayer. This is great stuff. This is this is a lot of fun, and um, honestly, this is you know part of the reason again that I wanted to even start like a. An episode like this because uh, you know again the, the the people that we hope are watching this are the people who are actually in this position of being stuck uh there where you were denise on you know december 12th there were where you were at that chapel in the late 90s with your mullet you know at uh two o'clock in the morning matt leonard uh so i mean it, they're they're stuck there but you know maybe you know i think one of the things i also want to do here is um, to just get out in the open and name why it was difficult and put words in it because um, I feel like by doing that, we help validate what the actual concerns are for people um, who are stuck in this scenario. I know for me, um, there, there's this, the trailer is out for Thor Love and Thunder and uh, there's this scene where Star-Lord is talking to Thor about how you need to look in the eyes of the people that you care about the most and he's saying that he's looking at the crew on the deck of his spaceship and Thor's like leaning in like, you know, as a, you mean you're looking at me. I felt like that's what, what every, everybody was trying to do in the Catholic church with Mary. It's like, I'm trying to look at Jesus and everybody's trying to like put a Mary statue in mm. front of him. So I can't see like block out the light. And, you know, for me, I had to kind of come to this position where I saw what I had previously seen, all this stuff in the church, you know, Mary being the biggest piece of stuff instead of being like hurdles that I had to jump over to get to Jesus at the finish line. I saw them instead as like, you know, you're staring up a sheer wall and these are outcroppings on a rock face that you can grab onto, like to help kind of get you up there. Um, but I tell you what, I mean, that, that was the, that was the block for me is I just always felt like Catholics were just kept on shoving her in the way and shoving her in the way when 
I, my whole life, all I'd ever done was had to just say, Jesus Christ, you know, hear my prayer. Um, Matt, what was the, why was this such a hard thing for you? Like, put words to it. Well, when you're raised the way that we were, um, Jesus is it, right? Obviously, Jesus is the center. And so what's drilled into your head is that anything that would detract from the glory of God is idolatry, like plain and simple. And so Mary was that thing for me. And it's really interesting in thinking back about this, like we would have sermons on every single figure, like even the most obscure figures in the Old Testament for like seven weeks, you know, on one guy. We never had any sermon series on Mary. Did you like, have Did you have sermon ses- series on Esther? Did you have sermon series on Ruth? Because I did. Did you have sermon yep. series on Deborah? Because I did. Did you have sermon yes. series on Elizabeth, uh, the mother of John the Baptist? Because I did. <laughs> Rachel, yeah. I mean, all these people were foreshadowed, right? All these other women in the Bible, we talked about ad nauseum. And, and yet we would never talk about the one will, woman amongst the billions ever born that bore the only son of God. And, and the way that I always kind of describe it, the analogy I use is that for me, it was a, a kind of a process that even as I was going through RCIA and reading all kinds of books and such, when you're in second grade and you wanted to play dodgeball, like in my tiny little school in Alpha, Illinois, I wanted to play dodgeball. Well, they had to turn on those old fluorescent lights. You know, it would take like 20 minutes to heat up. And you're like, come on, come on, come on. Like, so it, that's what happened to me with Mary. At some point, the, the switch kind of got flipped. But it took a long time for me to be illuminated uh, as to who she was uh, in relationship to God and to me. And I realized in looking back that we had all these other discussions and all these other people. And really, even though I kept telling myself the reason why I had a trouble with Mary was because of idolatry and I didn't want to fall into that sin, it was really nothing other than anti-Catholicism. That's really, that, that's kind of what I became illuminated to, even before I became Catholic, because we talked about, as you said, we talked about everybody else, but we wouldn't talk about her. Why? Well, because those Catholics, right? And, and that said something to me like, well, maybe there's something a little more there that I need to take a hard look at, because if, if God elevated her to such a position and I'm keep kicking her off of that pedestal, then the problem's with me. It's not with God, and I've got to figure out what it is. Yeah, yeah. Denise, I wonder if you could maybe kind of like put us back in that space and uh, maybe put words to why it is that that was such a sticking point, like why this was so difficult for you. Well, you know, we would have admitted it, I think, at that point, but I think all Protestants, especially those who are anti-Catholic, they have a pope or maybe a whole bunch of them. Um, that is to say, they have people that they, they trust. We have people we trust, what they say. We believe what they say is essentially infallible. And my, my parents, they were that for me, you know? My dad was my priest and my pope. Um, and I think really all, especially evangelical Protestants, they follow people that they trust, that they believe. And so when they say things uh, against the Catholic Church, um, they, they, they have total buy-in for that. Um, and, and for me, I think I was, I was totally thinking about what my parents thought. I had had a series of, okay, well, that's Catholic, and I, I now believe that, even though my parents didn't. 
So um, I now believe that the Eucharist is Christ, even though my parents didn't. I now believe that the papacy is necessary um, for unity, even though my parents didn't. But when you get to Mary, it's like the big thing. And I, I've said this before. I don't know if I've said it in any of our recordings um, with the Coming Home Network, but I fully believe Mary was collateral damage in the Protestant Reformation because Protestants had to have something or thing, some things that they disagreed with Catholics on, or there would be no reason for them to not be Catholic. And Mary became the thing and has carried down through the centuries. Um, and I think there was also this idea in my mind that it, Marian devotion, um, would be akin to a Ouija board. You know, you, you just don't go there. And what it took was me doing something, making a petition that I, I knew could not possibly be answered to break that. And because she loves me so much and her son loves me so much, I don't know why, but he does. Um, he's entrusted me to this mother who, when I opened that space up, even though it was an impossibility that I was opening up, she rushed into that space I had given her. Um, and that, it, it, it was, it was done. It was sealed. I was, I was in. I was all in, um, after that. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's important to, you know, not only just for the, um, the people who are on the journey and, and, uh, dealing with this right now to kind of hear, hear you to say those things. But I think it's also important for Catholics to hear you to say those things. Cause I think that, you know, it could be a common trap for Catholics to fall into, to be just like, we'll just show them the argument. Right. <laughs> you know, and then obviously it'll be all fine. Right. And the fact of the matter is, is that um, all three of us were at places in our journey where we could like see the argument, and say, I, I, I can accept the intellectual aspect of this, but the, the actual like doing this, like you, like you were saying, Matt, pick up a rosary, be like, dear Lord, I'm going to try this. Please don't strike me with lightning in case this is a mortal, you know, like a mortal sin against you to pray the rosary. And I think that a lot of people have had that feeling. But uh, I want, uh, you know, just with a, a little bit of time here left, um, let's say there is somebody right now who's stuck in this position. Obviously, I found the only two people I know who prayed and overnight got a letter in the mailbox the next morning. So I don't know that we want like to necessarily tell people that that's exactly how this works every time. But um, what would you say to somebody for whom like this is where they're stuck? Um that they kind of get the deal, but they can't. There's a they can't go all the way, and they're they're maybe even in RCIA or maybe even like in personal instruction, but they know that if they have to stand up and say, "I believe and hold all that the Church teaches to be revealed by God," by that they mean some stuff about Mary that they don't believe yet. Uh, Matt, what would you say to somebody who's in that situation right now? I, I think the underlying question that because I it was exactly there. And I didn't have all the answers with Mary, even after she answered me so dramatically and I got over that hump, there were still questions like I, I, it's not that every single thing just suddenly disappeared and I saw the light and everything was, you know, perfect. I'm still I love Mary like I have a deep, deep devotion to Our Lady. And one of the beautiful things about this is, is my relationship with her continues to develop. And it's a joy of my life to be able to produce series and things about her. I should never have that ability to do it because of things that I said about her in the past. But one of the things that that did it for me was I had to say, if I believe that the church 
is right about the Pope, if the church is right about the Eucharist, if the church gave me the Bible for crying out loud that I was basing all my arguments on, you know, against a bunch of the church teaching for so many years, if it gave me all these things and I recognize that it has this authority given to me by God, even if I had some trepidation with regard to Mary, which I could recognize was more personal than anything else, like as I knew the intellectual arguments, if I recognize that, then I have to trust that the church, as given to us by God, is is this bride, and he is going to mother me in, and Mary's part of that package, and I can't I can't pick and choose because that's the essence of Protestantism. If the church is right about this, this, and this, the church is right about Mary, and I'll tell you that in hindsight, the it was so glaringly obvious now in hindsight. I'm such a low wattage bulb at times, but what the Lord has done through my relationship with Mary, is beyond what I could possibly imagine. It's nothing that's detracted anything from Jesus. It's added to him because Mary is more devoted to him than any of the rest of us ever will be. And she inspires my devotion to our Lord. And that grows and it grows and it grows. So if you're in that position and you can't get over the hump, rest on the authority you know, Denise was talking about how you know evangelicals in particular will rest on the authority of their pastor. Rest on the authority of the church that Jesus Christ gave us and has been there for 2,000 years. Like, read all the evidence and say, okay, here you go. And, and I, I give myself to this. And once you give yourself to it, hang on. Because the Lord will show you things you never dreamed and he will take you to heights that you never dreamed possible. And a lot of it is power. In fact, all of it, is powered by Mary through the graces given to her by Jesus Christ. And there's some stuff that if you just crack the door a little bit, it'll grow and bear totally. fruit over time. It hasn't aired yet, uh, but David Curry's, uh, he did a repeat on the journey home. That's going to be coming out here in the summer. And, uh, great. Guy. He was, he was talking about how, uh, you know, when he was coming into the church, um, he was not, feeling comfortable about the idea of praying the rosary. So he said to his pastor, he's like, uh, so is it okay? I know what's optional and what's not optional. Um, is it okay? Can I be a decent Catholic and never pray the rosary? And his pastor's like, yeah, you can be a, you can be a perfectly good Catholic and never pray the rosary. He's like, but you will, and you will love it. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, David's like, yeah, well, that, probably not. He's like, Within three or four months, he's praying it every day and like absolutely love it. Like if you crack the door a little bit, you'd be surprised at how how much – you just sort of, you know, all all the fears, you know, kind of wash away over time if you just start to kind of rest in it a little bit. But Denise, I don't have to, I pitched this to Matt as though it's like a theoretical, let's say someone's, you know, you're talking to someone, this is not theoretical, in just a few months of working with the Coming Home Network, Denise, you've already like run into a number <laughs> of people who've, <laughs> this is the wall that they've hit. I mean, what would you say to someone who this is where they're stuck? I think part of, what I would say, because what they tend to say is, this is what I'm seeing, and so I, I disagree with it. And sometimes what they say is, what I'm seeing is Catholics worshiping Mary. And so I, I will respond with what may appear to, to be that from, you know, looking outside of them, um, that if that is what they're doing within, they're not following church teaching. Because church teaching is not that we worship Mary. We only worship the divine God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I would start there. And um, I would 
would also say um, that it's important to to learn, maybe pick up the catechism, learn what the church believes um, in her own words, uh, because you can have uh, you can have some Catholics who go off the deep end in one way, and I've even heard some in the last 17 years say, um, oh, I just adore Mary. And I'm very careful not to say, no, we adore Christ. We have adoration of Christ. We adore God. Um, but we have this high veneration, um, uh, this highest honor uh, of all human beings for Mother Mary uh, because she is the mother of our Lord. Um, and so I, I start there. I also say, you know, you don't have to receive everything. So if you have troubles with, um, some of the apparitions of Mary, just don't, don't go there. You don't have to receive those. Let's just focus on what the church teaches about Mary, um, the dogmas and why and, um, and unpack those because I have come to see, and some of us through pilgrimage, you know, Matt, you know that I have done pilgrimage to the Holy Land a number of times, and some of it has come through that. Um, it is not so hard. It is all lovely. It is all beautiful, and it all fits beautifully within the mosaic of our faith, um, yeah. this one who is our mother. Yeah, and Denise, as you're saying that, I'm thinking also, like, even of, like, the Ark of the Covenant, like, mm. were the Israelites committing idolatry by walking around? Uh, no, but that, with the with the Ark of the Covenant, no, but that thing contained the things of God, right? right. And Mary contains the things of God, and so we honor her in that way. We don't worship her. You would get, uh, you get zapped for worshiping the Ark of the Covenant, right? Okay. <laughs> you know, but... You know, just, to, Matt, just to pick up real, what you're saying. Can I take, just, I'm going to pick up something that Denise said, because I think it's so sure. poignant. When someone's coming into the church... You know, don't don't go off and and look at all the the private revelations and all the rest of that kind of stuff. You're not even bound to believe any of that stuff. Okay, first of all, but lots of times it can distract you from really what you're supposed to be doing, and it can terrify you because the vernacular of Catholicism is very different than the vernacular of evangelicalism. And so I remember very early on, in fact, it might have been just before I came into the church, I was reading Louis de Montfort's, you know, Total Consecration to Mary. And the language in it, like being slaves to Mary and all the rest of that kind of stuff was freaking me out, right? And someone said to me, when I told them I was reading this, they're like, Matt, that's like trying to drink a vodka before you've ever had your first beer, you know? And I was like, well, certainly leave it to a Catholic to put it in that context, you know? But it's so true, right? Don't get distracted by that stuff. In time, you will have a better context for that. Go Stick with the basics. In fact, if you're having trouble with the rosary, Get the little scriptural rosary. That's how I started because it inserts those Bible verses in between every Hail Mary and is really kind of catechetical and teaches you the beauty of how Mary and the whole story plays into the rosary as well. So just focus on the basics, stick with them, and and let everything else kind of flower in due time. Yeah, you know who I have a real problem with? I have a real problem with all these lovers who keep on swimming across the Pacific Ocean um, to prove their love for people and these people keep walking across broken glass uh, for their lovers. Like, nobody actually does that, right? It's just a, it's a vernacular of love poetry. And you have, sometimes the, the Mary stuff you kind of have to think of in those terms, like, you know, there's this effusive, like the kind of way that you talk about, like, you know, how many times have I said to, uh, well, actually, I don't say this, but how many times has like an, one of my southern aunts said to me, I could just eat you. I'm like, oh no, my aunt is a cannibal. Like, there's this stuff that you say when you're, you know, expressing love in like an effusive way that, you know, you don't have to take every aspect of that stuff literally. And it's, 
it's a kind of, as you put it, and I think that's the best way to put it, there's like a Catholic vernacular when it comes to this stuff. Um, that can be hard for people to get their heads around. But this has been amazing. I, I want to, uh, before we let you go, uh, Denise and I, you can find through the Coming Home Network. But Matt, I wonder if, since she's also, by the way, photobombing you in your shot, um, see her behind your head. Um, <laughs> yes. But I wonder if there's anything that you've put out over the years uh, on Mary that you might want to steer people toward. Well, I have some sessions on Our Lady uh, at scienceofsainthood.com as part of the, the online platform that I run there because obviously the spirituality of, of trying to become a saint uh, has to do with Mary because she is what it is that you and I were made to be. And so we're, she plays a, a deep role in the life of grace. And so I have some, some videos with regard to her and how she plays the role in a spiritual life at scienceofsainthood.com linked right here uh hopefully people can check out the graphic at the bottom of the screen and also again i want to encourage people to come check out uh chnetwork.org for all of our resources and especially if you want to banter this uh, around and toss it uh into the air in a community full of people who are not going to judge you and think that you're a weirdo because we've all gone through this stuff too head to our online community community.chnetwork.org we have a wonderful group of people uh there that you can connect with and, uh, of course, this is all made possible by your generous support. So go to chnetwork.org and click donate because, again, we don't really sell anything. So uh, <laughs> the way that we uh, operate is because of your generosity. Matt Leonard, Denise Bossert, this has been a blast. I'm so glad that now you know each other's stories and uh, now you can sort of like that's a second testimony to prove that you're not crazy. So thank you for that. <laughs> been a pleasure a real pleasure yeah, Denise, so great yeah, great to hear your story i loved it thanks, all right and yeah, thank you, you all <laughs> awesome. for uh, joining us on this episode of ch network presents we'll talk to you again next time around 